0: Hey, y'all, if you enjoy watching your podcast, which seems kind of weird watching your podcast, but some people really enjoy that. So we have a YouTube channel. You can find it at Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y. It's also linked up in the show notes. You can hit subscribe. And several of these interviews are actually in person. So you can watch that. Again, that is at Heather Parody on YouTube. Leaving a strong religious background and going into personal development, entrepreneurship is kind of confusing and oddly familiar at the same time. A few years ago, I ran across this man named Travis Chapel. He's the host of Travis Makes Friends and the founder and CEO of Guestio. Y'all check out his bio. Now, his business success is impressive, but when I heard his story about his deconstruction process from what some might consider a cult, I knew I had to ask him some questions. Y'all, we go in deep in this conversation and talk about deconstructing from hierarchy and religion only to find it in entrepreneurship, approaching relationships with a giver's heart without falling into religious martyrdom, and rediscovering your calling post-religion and into newfound freedom. Y'all are ready for this.
1: I understand that people make mistakes. Uh, That's part of Mm. it. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to... You know give you your flowers because you made a couple mistakes or i saw you say something behind closed doors one time that was off-putting and i just i looked at my I turn over my wife and i was just like I, I can't i can't do it anymore that's a fantastic question one that nobody's ever asked me before and probably one that only somebody who has both experiences like you would be able to even think about
0: you dude that i've been following your content for a minute and i think what you're doing out in this world travis is super cool i mean you definitely have what the kids nowadays call receipts you're kind of a kid now you're only you just hit 30 right or 31
1: 31 yeah
0: god anyways i'm not going to talk about that but obviously the proofs there you've built some really awesome stuff and that's impressive but when i heard your story at a podcast movement a couple of years ago that was the first time i'd ever heard anything about you or heard your story and i was like damn, like to be able to build what you have coming from where you did and starting from the ground up. I was like, one day I'm going to interview this dude. And at uh, the right time came along and slid into the DMs and here you are. So I'm super pumped to pick your brain for 30 minutes. Travis, thanks for joining us today.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me out there. I've been looking forward to having a chat with you.
0: Awesome. Awesome. You know, I'm going to do something I've never done before with a guest. And I don't know why this keeps popping up in my head with you when I think about Uh, your body of work and knowing a little bit about your history. I actually want to start with like the end in mind. So if we were like fast forwarding time to like little old Travis with his family and he's looking back on his life and he's seeing his body of work. I know you've done some cool shit so far, but you're like just beginning, honestly. And if you were like putting yourself in that position, looking back over your life, what are you actually working towards right now? You
1: know, I've thought about this a good amount. I think about kind of the end of my life and death and death beds. You think quickly. about that? I do. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, kind of deep. I think it puts life into perspective, you know, and yeah. anytime I come across like a big decision, if you look at it in the lens of one day, I'm going to die and everything that I'm doing right now will be insignificant to everybody in the world. It allows you to make decisions that maybe you don't feel like making or maybe you're talking yourself out of making and <clears throat> I, I don't know I, I think i think the the big win is to be surrounded by people that you love i think that mm. that is well documented to be a source of happiness and fulfillment for for people and the majority of deathbed regrets don't have much to do with work they have more to do with the people you love and people you spend time with so i i think about that a lot i think about doing right by my kids, doing right by my family and investing into high quality friendships and relationships. Uh, And then that's really, that's really what a lot of, you know, you keep using the term body of work. That's really what a lot of the work that I've done has been about is about relationships and, and people in general anyway. And I try to think about it in the way that like, if I were going to give a keynote speech to a hundred thousand people, or if I, if I was going to write a bestseller and guaranteed it would sell a million copies, like what would it be about and it always comes back to relationships for me it always comes back to to people I, I don't think that i don't think that people regret their time investing into other people and into relationships and so that's kind of what i'm pushing for toward to do with my life and i think that would be a life well lived
0: what about achievement
1: achievement i think i i don't i like that's not something that i worry about for me i guess really C- compared to relationships and people because achievement i've always been achievement oriented i've always been ambitious right. i've always i've always been competitive i've always wanted to win and I, and I think that you live life long enough and you don't quit achievements kind of part of that it, it'll, it'll come it'll come with with making good decisions i think that the thing that that i that i personally need to be more worried about is the relationships piece and i think that if i focus more on that that achievement kind of comes along with some of those things and in a bigger way than you could do on your own anyway so i think i You know, I still want a multi eight figure net worth. I still want a New York Times bestseller. I still want, you know, bigger impact on my podcast and and YouTube channel and stuff like that. I want all of those things, but I I don't think that they're necessarily as elusive as happiness and fulfillment and good relationships with good people.
0: I love that. In your story, you were succeeding as a salesman, as a young man, young husband. Right. And you didn't find purpose. Like There wasn't enough in that for you. You wanted to do your own thing. And so when you ventured off into your podcast and down the entrepreneurial freaking rabbit hole, it's a rabbit hole, y'all. I'm just curious. I know you're, what, 10 years probably into it, maybe a little bit less. Have you found purpose in this world that you were looking for?
1: That's a good question. I, don't, I, I, I guess I don't really know. How uh, to answer that. So, I guess the real answer would be no. I don't know. I, I think I, I, I tend to gather less purpose from results as I do from the journey itself. And, like, I, I find more fulfillment in this journey than I did when I was doing door to door. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that there's something to be said there. But, in terms of like, do I look at it as my life's purpose to make people. You know better networkers or whatever like I, I don't I don't like resonate with that from on a deep level you know like is it my life's purpose to get podcasters better guests no not really you know what I mean like that's not why I exist but I find purpose in creating things I find purpose huh. in pushing past rejection I find purpose in painful consistency I find purpose in struggle I find purpose in setting a good example for my kids. And and all of that comes from the things that I do. But it's not necessarily like those are like my passions in life. And that's why I exist is to, you know, like I said, connect podcasters and guests. It's not really like purposeful. It's just more the journey itself is what makes the purpose mean something. And I think that that purpose is greater doing what I'm doing now than it was when I was doing sales alone.
0: Yeah. So listen, dude, I know you've known me. We've been talking for about seven minutes and 30 seconds all together. And you're like, what the hell? These are some deep ass questions. But I swear, when I first heard you talk uh, with uh, Rich Cardona a few years ago, I've been wanting to ask you these questions because knowing your background and understanding what kind of the pressure with calling and purpose and your mission in life and stuff, finding that here in the entrepreneurial space and self-help and all this stuff. I mean, it feels good and it feels right, but, I mean, you just posted on Facebook. By the way, P.S., you've got to, move, you had to hit follow or whatever on your Facebook statuses. I love reading them. But talking about finding a sense of groundedness and what you really believe in and fighting for something after everything's been deconstructed and ripped away from you, Dan, like, I don't know. I've, I've had a really hard time grappling with that and figuring it out because... Mm-hmm you're bent obviously towards something and you had the courage to actually go after it. And now looking back years later, was it just the calling BS like narrative that's not necessarily true or is there a calling now in this work and have you been able to find it?
1: Um, I think I've still kind of looked for that. Uh, yeah. And, and by the way, I love these questions. Don't, don't think I don't.
0: Uh, Sometimes well. I overwhelm people. They're like, damn, <laughs> you uh, said uh, 30 I- minutes. <laughs>
1: If I, if, I, if I were just like to talk to people about stuff, like I tend to get into these more like life philosophy conversations rather than uh, what's not working in your funnel conversation. That's more
0: clickable though, dude. It's more clickable. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I enjoy the conversations because I've done a ton of thinking about it, you know, and for those listening for a little context, I grew up deeply religious in a cult-like environment, cultish environment. I graduated kindergarten on the same campus I graduated high school and college from. And I thought I was going to be in full-time ministry. I got my double major in Bible and church ministries at a strictly ministerial college that was on the church campus that I went to since mm-hmm. I was three years old. Everybody that I knew, everything that I knew, everything that I thought that I knew came from this one 40-acre compound in Southern California that I grew up at. And leaving yeah. that challenged everything about myself. And I had to form new relationships, new friendships I had to find a new purpose, create new values. there was everything in my life changed from 23 to 28. I don't know exactly why I did it that early. Like there's a lot of people that I grew up with that are just now like coming to some of the same conclusions that I came to like eight years ago. but I, I think that that's more natural. I think it's more natural to, to have like you know a, a strong emotional tie to, something that you've been indoctrinated with since you can even remember being able to talk or walk. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know if I called BS at the time. It was just that I started noticing inconsistencies and I started living in the regular world. And th- that was really the big difference to me, I think, Heather, was that I was supposed to go directly into ministry. And there's a lot of friends that I had that did the same thing. They grew up the same way I did and then they went directly into full-time ministry. And they never got a glimpse of what it was like to be in the real world. And yeah, this is a problem that I have by the way, not just with people in ministry. Like to me it's like you you should not be allowed to hold a position of like ministerial authority or leadership until you're 30. It should just be an age requirement. It shouldn't be, you know, like you, you should not be able to just leave college at 21 being a sheltered church boy your whole life and then go counsel people on the fact that their their father is in and out of prison for, you know, drug abuse. And yeah. they were a foster kid in the system their whole life, and they're trying to deal with the fact that their best friend just got put away for gang-related violence. And you're like some church kid who's been sheltered your whole life. You know nothing about the real world, and you're supposed to counsel this person? Why? Because you have yep. the Bible? That doesn't make any sense to me. You should have to live some sort of life in order to be able to do that. Like they have pastors that are 22 giving marriage advice, like. Just because you're a pastor and you've been married for seven months doesn't mean that you should be giving marriage advice to people that been married for 35 years that have gone through, like, infidelity and the loss of a child and, like, all this other stuff. And you're like, how yeah. are you qualified to give this person? Anyway, I digress.
0: Um, I love the passion, I, I, man. I, I, I feel that <laughs> way
1: about a lot of different things, though. Anything that's, like, that's culture-based like that, where hmm. you have a tendency to get lost in the fact that, like, there's another world around you that's moving and you're the only one that can't see that I feel the same way about the education system like if you are if you've just been a student your whole life and you go directly from being a student to being a teacher I don't think you should be able to do that you know I don't care if you have a doctor I don't care if you have two doctorates you should have to live life have a normal job and see what it's like see what it's like to be a normal person because that's why you have all these idealists on these like far left leaning liberal campuses that are preaching these ideologies that are poisonous to society because they ideally think that that's the right thing to do but then they've never lived a real life they don't know what it's mm-hmm. like they've mm. only ever been in the education system they've only ever been learning from other people who are learning for a living and teaching for a living like you don't have any practicality of how that translates into paying your bills when you work at the supermarket you know what i'm saying like there's Stop giving advice like that, and the same with government workers too, like if you've done nothing but go to school and then get a job in government and then get elected to office and then have a forty fifty year career in office only ever getting a paycheck from taxpayers, I just think that you are on you, you're an inadequate public pu, inadequate public servant who is making decisions based off of idealism instead of a, instead of reality. And I think that that's detrimental to all people. And so religion, education, government, whatever it is, when you have the ability to exist in a world without realizing the world around you is still going on, when you don't have any mm-hmm. context or perspective into what it's like to live that version of life, then I, I take your advice with a grain of salt, always. And I was starting to realize that when I was, when I was, coming, out of, when I was coming out of Bible college, I was supposed to be going into ministry, and mm-hmm. I didn't, and I was in this sales job, and I started meeting, I started meeting real people with real jobs and real struggles and real issues people who never been to, who had who had never been to church people who yep. didn't believe in god or people who did believe in god but maybe didn't believe in him as much as i did or maybe they believed in a different version of god or maybe they were a different religion and i started communicating with and connecting with all these people who held different perspectives and different beliefs about life about why we're here about how we got here and i started started to realize that the common denominator between good people was not what I thought it was. I thought that, old, that good people only came from this certain type of belief system. And then you start meeting people and you're like, oh, these are really, really great people and arguably better than a lot of the people that I knew in the world that I grew up in. you know, Because I would rather be around somebody who's real and genuine and, and, and I can take it face value than somebody who's hypocritical Right. And living a version of life that they don't tell anybody about because they're afraid of what other people are going to think. And then they have all these skeletons in the closet and it comes out 10 years later. Like, I would way rather be around real people than people like that. And, and so I started kind of realizing some of these things. And I, I just, I call them cracks in the dam. You know, it's just like I, I, I noticed that like, oh, well, that thing that I thought was absolute truth, I don't think is true. And yeah. I have, and I'm basing that off of evidence that I've experienced in life that I can't explain. And then that was a crack, and then the crack gets a little bit bigger, and then it just keeps expanding, expanding, and then all of a sudden the dam broke you know, a few years into it. And it kind of mm-hmm. just forced me to start asking questions for myself, and asking questions as much as I possibly could without the biased lenses that I was raised with. And that's the most difficult piece, because a lot of yep. people will say that they go ask questions, but the questions that they're asking are designed to get themselves a specific answer. It's like like you and I could both go to Google right now, Heather, And we could be at odds on a certain topic of discussion and you could Google one thing and I could Google another thing and we could both find evidence to support what we already believe, even though what we believe is in contradiction with each other. We can Mm -hmm. both do that. Like that information exists. So Mm -hmm. the the way that you're forming questions will dictate the way that you're finding answers. And if you're not willing to throw everything that you, that you believe in the air and ask with, ask with like the most unbiased lens that you possibly can, because it's pretty much impossible to eliminate all bias. But if you can try to convince yourself to ask the question with the least amount of bias possible then that's when you can start being affected and that's when you can start changing and that's when that's when in my opinion you start actually believing what you believe because if you find more if you if you if the evidence that you find su- supports the things that you believe then now you have evidence of why you believe it and it's only going to strengthen that belief but if you're too afraid to ask the right questions because you're afraid of what is going to, to mean for your belief system then that should tell you that you Red are flag. afraid that you don't have the yeah. truth. Because like, like I said in that Facebook post, truth is not, truth is not afraid of questioning. Truth right. is uncovered by questioning. And if you're afraid to ask questions and ask good questions and ask the questions that you know you should be asking because you're afraid of what that might lead to, then maybe you don't mm. have the truth. And like that to me was a scarier proposition than changing everything about my belief system. It was like I would rather know that I'm not right than go through life ignorantly thinking that I am right because I was too afraid to question anything. I know that was a My friends,
0: this is what lit up looks like. That is some freaking passion, Travis. You know, I was thinking it's one thing saying, you know what, this life isn't for me. I don't necessarily believe this way anymore. I'm gonna go venture off and do a new path. But obviously there is a lot of emotional attachment still there where you get lit up about it. And I'm curious, specifically when you were talking about the lack of experience in real world and then being put into a position of authority, what is it about that specifically that lights you up so much?
1: I just think it it's probably just because it's personal to me. And yeah. there were a lot of people in my life who had control over my the way that I believed and Uh, Were given unbridled authority, and like Mm. at the time, you know, when you're when you're 13, you think a 21 year old is super old, and it makes sense that they're your authority figure. But like now, as an adult, as a 31 year old, I'm like, 21 year olds are dumb as shit. Like, like they don't know anything. Like I'm 31 and I'm still Mm dumb. You know what I mean? Like I'm still learning all the things that I don't know. Like your, your twenties are basically built to make you realize that all the things you thought you knew when you were a teenager, you don't know anymore. And your thirties is basically just to, you know, from what I can tell so far anyway, I'm 31, I'm early on in the thirties, but it's like, it's the discovery of basically like oh yeah, I don't actually know anything. And now yeah. I can start learning everything about how life actually mm-hmm. operates. But when mm-hmm. you're 21, you think you know everything and you're, you're, you're a dummy. You know what I mean? So like when you're a dummy that's given unbridled authority like that, you tend to make dumb decisions and you, and, and, and you, you, you make decisions with ignorant, unintended consequences to those decisions. And a lot yeah. of those things like they F with these kids' psyches, they have the ability to make these these, these malleable, shapeable, 12 and 13-year-old insecure kids trying to figure out life. They take them and, and turn them into shells of themselves because this 21-year-old thinks that they're right about everything and mm. they're given the authority to proclaim that they're right about everything. And then that thirteen-year-old is left to unwind the psychological damage that's been done to them over the next two decades because this person was given authority that they shouldn't have been given, yep. and I, I think it's I think it's detrimental to to the development of young people to to give these people this this type of authority, and then and then just to assume that they have it because why because they went to Bible college or because like oh they have the Bible and they're closer to God so they must they have know. the
0: calling yep. yeah
1: right well it's like well, yep. if you're twenty-two and you're newly married, you just don't know what it's like to be married for 30 years. That's something you can't speak into. Like, you Uh cannot be sitting there being like, okay, well, maybe you guys should just read the Bible more and pray together. That'll solve this problem of infidelity that happened seven years ago for two years when you had four kids together and the fourth one was still in school and the three others were graduated and you lost your mom and then your cousin died and then this other thing happened and this person went to the military and you weren't expecting that and then you lost your job and you can't afford and you're in debt. And like, this 22 year old kid, why? Because they went to Bible college? Like, okay, guy, like, <laughs> chill out. Like that's not, that's not, that's not the, the qualifying factor to decide whether or not you're right yeah. or I should listen to you. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, it's, it's annoying and, and they're not even therapists. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they didn't yeah. even get degrees in psychology and how the mind works. They're just like kids with an unaccredited Bible degree telling these people how to live their life. And like I said, I, the the type of authority that they're given because perceptually it's from god mm-hmm. that type of if if you are in that belief system and you genuinely believe this 23 year old has the authority of god then you're going to do what they say to do and you're going to feel guilty when you don't do it even though it might be horribly incorrect advice and could be detrimental to your life and could have severe psychological or even or even real world damages that are done to it. And, and it, I don't know, it's like I said, I, it, the, I use the religious example because that's the thing that's probably that hits closest to yep. home for me. Yep. But I think that it exists also in 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 higher and formal education and in government work as well. You know, it's like if, if, you're, if you're a business professor and you've never had a business and you just write books about business, it's like, I, I, I will listen to what you have to say through a certain lens, right? Like mm. I will, like... If you're, if you're a lot of those people will base their, their books or whatever on deep research and data and
0: and, and
1: studies and subsets and all these other, all this other stuff. And it's like, that is valuable to a certain extent, but at the same time, if you don't have the practitioner level advice coupled with that, then again, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt because you haven't actually done it. You haven't actually been in the chair and had to, and had to fire that division of people because your company took a hit that last quarter. Like you've never, you have not had to do it. If you haven't had to do it, I just don't want to hear your advice about it as much, right? Like I can go to a trainer Mm -hmm. who's fat and out of shape and, 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 and know that they have the certifications to tell me what I should and shouldn't do, but I'm always going to take it with a grain of salt. Because if your body fat is 24% and I'm trying to get mine down to 8%, I want to know that you've been there, done that and bought the t-shirt twice. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. I can read Google. What good are you doing to me if, like, you haven't actually done what we're trying to do here? So I just think that there's. I think that there's a, a, a discrepancy there between the people, the people who've done stuff, and the people who just like talk about doing stuff.
0: Well, here we are, Travis. Here we are. This is what I'm just dying to ask you. I'm so glad we went here so we could get right here. I. Was in ministry, right? Okay. Deconstructed from that, and now that you're in the entrepreneurial space, I feel this hierarchical game again with people in power and people not. And you've built an entire brand around helping people connect with those who have influenced the top 1% and you're a complete badass. I mean, my God, you interviewed like Shaq, like what the hell dude? Like it's, you have really figured it out and that's, that's what you help others do. And when I look at your work and I know your story, for me, there's this parallel that I don't know how you grapple with, with leaving this hierarchy of some people have a voice, other people don't. And then now entering into a world where there's a different uh, industry, but same structure where sometimes the people have it and other people don't. And I'm just curious how as a human being you wrestle with those two worlds, because the truth is you have to get over that if you want to be, quote, successful entrepreneur, right? You have to have the connection. So how do you wrestle with that coming from where you came from?
1: That's a fantastic question, one that nobody's ever asked me for, and probably one that only somebody who has both experiences like <laughs> you would be able to even think about, but absolutely it's something that, I, that I've that i wrestled with, and it was funny. I was just at a, at an event this past weekend, and it was a stacked speaker lineup, and I had the pleasure, luckily, of interviewing probably over half of the speakers yep. in that lineup, and I showed up, and uh, I had comp tickets because I knew the, the event organizers, and then I've run into a friend of mine who brought me backstage passes for my wife and, and me. And the backstage passes at that event were $10,000 a piece. So I got a comp ticket to the event, and then I got comped backstage passes. We go to backstage, and one of the people backstage was like, Hey, man, I was just looking for you. I was about to come bring you a backstage pass. So glad that so-and-so took care of it for you. Damn. And when I was back there with all those people, I, I, you know, was listening to some of the speakers and I was talking to a couple of people and I, and I watch, I'm, 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 I'm a big observer and I don't know why I just, I tend to observe a lot of things. I, 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 I'm not like a big talker. If you get me in a room with a bunch of people, I tend to be the person that's kind of sitting back and waiting until somebody asks me a question. I, I'm not, I'm not interjecting my opinion a lot. I'm just, I'm watching, mm-hmm. observing, mm-hmm. and I observe all these people who are what I call drinking the Kool-Aid. And I just, I looked at my, I turned over to my wife and I was just like, I I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't drink the Kool-Aid. I'm, I'm, I'm all Kool-Aided out at this point. And I know, and, and, and and it's because every time I've put myself in circles where maybe I am underqualified to be in those circles and I've held somebody in a position of like really high regard, like almost uncomfortable regard, uh, like without fail they disappoint in some way the yep. more i get to know them the more i get to know yep. the people around them and not disappoint in a way where it's like oh you're a terrible person just like uh oh you're just like me like <laughs> you're you, a human you, you yeah. pierce the veil a little bit yeah and and the the curtains torn down and it's like okay well i've spent enough time you know like one of the speakers that everybody i, I would ask like six or seven people like hey who, who's the best speaker so far and they all said the same exact answer i'm not going to say it because i don't want to throw him on the bus or anything. And frankly, he's still somebody I look up to a lot and I hold in Mm -hmm. very high regard. So it's, I'm not saying that, you know, he's a bad person, but I spent a lot of time, more time one-on-one with this person than a lot of people have. And I've seen certain things come to light about that person that other people haven't. And whenever I hear it, I'm just like, oh, you are, I totally forget that most people, you're still just drinking the Kool-Aid and I, I have mm. this I have this we have a, a canvas it's there's three canvases in our kids' playroom, and it's chapel family values. so one thing that was very important to me when I kind of left that religious hierarch, hierarchical structure was that we still had values that guided the decisions that we make as a family because I saw so many people that left the religion side of it that just lost all moral the and they, yes. they they blurred yes. the line between right and wrong so much that they I, they'd lost touch with themselves and they act out of integrity and they do things and they, and they blame it on the religious structure that we were raised with. But it's at the same time, it's like, look, I get all of that, but also that's not a conducive way to live your life either. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you still have to have some footing here. So i you know, tried to work really hard on like putting together like these, these, this code is a good code to live by regardless. And one of those, there's 20 of them on our wall and we need to edit them and, and keep moving things around and stuff. But one of them is do not treat men like gods. And that's something that I've learned that's been very personal for me because I was always that guy. I always was just that. Yeah. Like, I held people on a pedestal and I wanted to get close to them as much as I possibly could. And I wanted to spend as much time with them as I could. And I, I wanted to have the status of being around those people. And like I said, every time I did, it, it, le- it led to some form of disappointment. Mm-hmm. And it just started getting me realize like, we're just all people. We're just all mm-hmm. trying to hack it. And it, like, again, not every, time that, not every time it was disappointing was it like detrimental, where it was like, oh, you're just a piece of shit. Like there's, like, there's yeah. fewer of those. But everybody is disappointed in some regard because it just makes you realize that they're human. And the minute that you start treating men like gods and men, women, you know, people— like, they are deities, which is exactly what happens, by the way. Like, in all of these worlds, they, they, there's these, you know, thought leaders that are at the top, and people yeah. treat them like they're infallible. And when you start treating people that are infallible, you get to the point where I was in religion, which is where you can't ask questions. I never want to be in a world where I am not allowed to ask questions. I, I heard somebody say one time, it's really stuck with me, I would rather have questions that don't have answers than have answers that can't be questioned. And... <laughs> That one thing has prevented me from being in a situation where I hold people at this like this celebrity status that makes them an unquestionable person in life. Hmm. And I don't, I don't have that anymore. And I honestly, Heather, I think that's why I've gotten pretty good at connecting with people like this because I don't treat them like that. And they're yeah. so used to 99% of the people that are coming up to them and meeting them at events that treat them like they're a god. And they don't a lot like the good ones don't want to be treated that way. That's just that's the nature of being on stage. It's like you're on stage in front of seven thousand people. There's this, there's this status that comes along with that, and most people treat them with regard to that status. I don't because I don't have anything to lose in the relationship or the situation. I treat them like they're a regular damn human being because that's what they are, and they know that just as much as I know that. And it actually enables me to connect with them on a more human level where we actually yes. can have real conversations. So it's, to me, it's actually benefited my ability to connect with people because I, I, I'm not under the impression that anybody is absolutely and infallibly correct a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I and mean, that's what makes them human. And that's what makes me human. And we can connect on that again. Like if they're my people, I understand that people make mistakes. Uh, that's part mm-hmm. of it. It doesn't mean that I, I'm not going to you know, give you your flowers because you made a couple mistakes or I saw you say something behind closed doors one time that was off-putting or whatever. It's like, okay, well, whatever. People make mistakes. You know, people have heightened emotions. If you're doing a lot of good work in the world, you have, like, I look at, like, hey, do you have a good relationship with your family? Does your family love you? Do the people who are closest to you have great things to say about you? You Yeah. Like, that's more what I'm looking at rather than what does the broad general public have to say about you because they don't know. Nobody knows except for the people that are closest to you. So that's what I tend to look at is, like, what does your circle say about you? What type of relationship do you have with your kids, with your wife? What, what type of relationship do you have with your husband? What type of relationship uh, do you have with the people that you've done business with? You know, how long has your COO been with you, right? Like, those are, those are the questions that I'm kind of looking at. How long has your assistant been with you? Are you turning people over all the time? Like, is there something that's going on in the background that no, nobody's realizing except for the people that are closest to you? It's like the, the Ellen DeGeneres mm-hmm. effect. You know, like for so long, she had this brand of like being the kindest, sweetest, most caring, generous, loving person on the face of the planet. And then come to find out she's treating all of her employees like dog shit the whole time. And it's like, and again, I don't know, Ellen, that could be somewhat doctored. It could be somewhat fake. But from what I understand, a lot of the sources were very real. And she literally stopped doing her show when all this stuff came out. And it was like, oh, well, you can be known for something by the broad general public. But if you're a piece of shit behind closed doors, you're a piece of shit. And, and, and like people are going to find that out eventually. And I, so I tend to, you know, it, it, it has to be something that you wrestle with. You, you have to engage with it or you got to get out of the game. That's the problem. Mm. Like you just ignore it. Mm. You, you, you got to engage with it or get out of the game. And so for me, like it's not an option to get out of the game. I engage with it. And some people right. I found to not be worth the trouble. Some people I've found that like that are people that everybody in our space would know that I've you know built relationships with that I'm just like nah you're not my people you know what I mean yeah go do your thing do whatever you want to do but like we're not we're not going to get along and I leave it at that and I go connect with the people that I do think are my people and and you know I I just think that you you it's part of the game you have to do it if you Mm want to you know maintain successful relationships and collaborations. In your career, but I just don't ever let it get to the point where I used to let it get to, which was like this person is a god in my mind. They are like the same level of that. And yeah. it's like so far out of my brain now, it's not even something that I can even like stomach for a lot of a lot of the time. When I see it happening to yeah. me, like, Oh, red flag. I'm out. Peace. You know. So word. Yeah, I hope that answers word. that question. But it's a, it, it's it a, does. a it's difficult water to <sighs> you. You're right.
0: We are right at thirty four minutes and I want to honor the time I asked you for Travis one you have one time for one more quick question okay promise this is it religion it's like service you serve folks you are here to serve almost a martyr right get into this space it's a little bit more kind of who do I know who do you know let's you know figure it out and kind of climb the ladder a little bit and we're looking you know we say we're not but we're humans looking at advancement what's going to build my brand what's going to build my business and you should right holding space with a background of servanthood and being a martyr, and then this new world of growth. Mm-hmm. How do you approach relationships with both of those? I said um, it was a quick question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's
1: a great <laughs> question. Don't, don't apologize for good questions, Heather. I read a book called Give and Take when I first started doing okay. everything I'm doing online because my my initial show was called Build Your Network, and it was a lot about networking. Yeah. And I was I started realizing that I didn't know anything about it, but I started a show about it. So I was like, I should probably learn more about this from what other people are saying. And Give and is probably, little, if not the best, the if if not like the best, it's definitely one of the best books that I've read on on networking relationships. The philosophy of it, and essentially Adam Grant breaks down the three types of reciprocity styles, which is givers, takers, and matchers. And, and then he goes into the studies of which of those three categories end up on the top of the success ladder and the bottom of the success ladder. And what they found was really interestingly, givers are both on the top and the bottom of the success ladder. The best givers are at the top and the people Mm -hmm. who you were kind of just referring to the, like the, the ones that were just beaten into their head to be a servant all the time. They're at the bottom because they get, they, they become the doormat. You know it's it's, yep they they become used by everybody they are taken advantage of Uh, they uh, are too trusting they almost to the point of naivety they uh, they 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 tend to get themselves in sticky situations looking out for people who've screwed them over again and again and again and again right because it's just in their nature it's like the scorpion and the frog type of a thing you know Um, they're just the scorpions gonna keep stinging You know, and sometimes you got to cut those people off and servants never do that. And so he gives you permission in that book as a giver to be extremely generous, but also to cut people off when it's time to cut people off. And he says that like one of the best ways that givers can interact with takers is to switch reciprocity styles when it comes to takers and turn into becoming a matcher with takers. So, like, if you've found somebody in your life to be consistently taking, they're just a leech on you and on society, on the majority of the relationships, then stop giving them everything and start making them earn gives and things like that. So that's why I say, like, that book does a really great job of wrestling with those things. And it was helpful for me coming from that philosophy Mm. and moving into this philosophy because I think I was more naturally a matcher. That was, like, like being a servant was one of the things, like, whenever I took, like, the, you know, what was it called? Like, the Christian, it was like a Christian personality test. I forget, (laughs) like, the spiritual gifts test or something like that. Oh yeah. Serving was always like my, like my, my worst category. Really? Uh, Yeah. uh, Like being, being generous and stuff was always high. Like I, I I was always, like I was always giving, but not giving of like my time in terms Mm -hmm. of like, I didn't, I didn't want to be the one to volunteer to do like six hours of work type of a thing. Yeah, I, I was always kind of looking for advancement in the, in the other regards. So, it so I kind of naturally was more of a matcher, but then when I really found out after reading that book and then interacting with people is like the only way to really go through life is being a giver anyway. It's just that I kind of try to be a little bit more strategic in my giving in terms of I'm not going to be somebody that you can take advantage of. I'm not going to be somebody that you can just, you know, suck all the value out of and leave me as a shell of a carcass behind mm-hmm. you. I, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. You can't just walk all over me. However, if you're my people, again, I'm as generous as I can possibly be with both my time, my resources, my connections, the money uh, that I've that I've made. Like everything, I, I, I try anyway to be my best, to do my best, to give without the expectation of receiving anything in return. And I still think that's just a it's a it's a better philosophy in in which to live life. You know, I, I, again, I think. Life is all about relationships, and the more generous you are, the better your relationships will be in general. And over time, it will always serve you, even if right now it doesn't. So, yeah, I I don't know if that completely answered that question, but I would say, I would say, like, wrestling with those two things was not something that I really had to do. As soon as I really figured out that, like, giving was the thing that is going to Mm -hmm. work better, not just for me and my own personal success, but for everybody around me, it just didn't make sense to not be that way. So that's the the style that I adopted.
0: No, that's perfect. Your girl's gonna be ordering that book later, later. Uh, for our very last question, I want to give you an opportunity to share about this new venture that you have full time creator. I'm super excited about full time content creator. But first of all, let me just thank you. You're I know you don't know me from anything, and I've been watching your posts and reading it. And coming from my background, reading what you have to say about your life. And you don't have to share all that, dude. I mean, you could just go into the heavy networking, heavy business stuff and would do just fine. But it's generous of you that you've leaned into that side of your life. It's helped me feel seen. And I just really appreciate you taking time to answer my deep ass questions in this interview. <laughs> really enjoyed it. But Travis, where can people uh, connect with you online? Everything, of course, will be linked in the show notes.
1: Yeah, travishapple.com is the best place uh, for full time okay. creator. You can go to fulltimecreator.co. We have a special offer right now for people that are jumping in. It's a it's a mastermind. I've never I've not done a mastermind that's like less than twelve thousand dollars in a really long time. But this one, we just wanted to really serve the creator community. We've noticed like. My it's, it's, I say we, it's my buddy Chris Van Vliet, who has mm-hmm. everything that I've done in the podcast YouTube world. He's eclipsed a million times over. He's interviewed every A-list celebrity that you can think of. He's got six seven 700,000 subs between his two YouTube channels. Over a half a billion views on, on YouTube alone. Gets half a billion on Facebook and Instagram and everything combined every year. And he is a full-time creator, come, coming from a broadcast yeah. journalism career, four-time and an Emmy winner, red carpet host, And, and he did not do the entrepreneurial journey, but I did. So like basically he has the creator piece and I have the entrepreneurial piece. And so when we come together, basically our message is like, Hey, entrepreneurs, you need to get better at being like an actual creator and then creators, you need to get better at learning how to monetize your content instead of being this like victim starving artist mentality. So yeah. We came together to form what we call Full-Time Creator. It's our first kind of product inside of that is our mastermind, Full-Time Creator Mastermind, which you can try out for a dollar for two weeks. So we literally tried to make it to where you have no excuses. If you have any desire to be a full-time creator, any desire to make more money with your content, get it seen by more people, benefit your business, get more leads, sales, et cetera, et cetera, then fulltimecreator.co. It's a dollar to try it out for two weeks. And then, and then depending on when this episode goes out, the price currently is $49 a month, but I think we're only doing that for the first 75 members, which we're at like 64 or something right now in the first five days of launching this. And so that'll jump up to 79 and then jump up to 97 and then jump up to 150. So depending on when you're listening to this, that it'll still be extremely affordable but it's it's only a dollar to try it out so fulltimecreator.co you can go check it out check
0: that out over there excellent all that will be linked in the show notes very last question this one's short I promise I promise there's a quote on my wall from this cowboy named James Victoria and he said the things that made you weird as a kid make you great today now listen I know as a kid you had that entrepreneurial spirit you were good at you know People and you had some leadership in you and all that. I don't think. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily weird. I think that's badass and awesome. So, if you could find something weird about you, man, whether it was nerdy or this weird quirk about you that you now look back and actually embrace, what would that be?
1: I, I'm 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 a, a nerd for all intents and purposes. You know, so I played chess and liked math and physics strategy. and yeah, strategy was a big strategy game person. And I did a bunch of just random, random stuff for, we had what was called a fine arts competition in our school. And so my senior year, I think I did like nine different competitions at that thing. Like we did, I was in small ensemble, large ensemble, choir, played chess, took a math test, was the captain of the Bible quiz team, did duet acting speech with a friend of mine, did a comedy speech by myself that I won first place with and played the guitar so like it was just there was so many things that I, I was just i was through and through a nerd you know i did i didn't really yeah. do but i also was the captain of the basketball team and football team and stuff so i played a lot of sports and stuff which which is what i was kind of more known for so people are always kind of surprised to be like oh you did nerdy stuff too like star wars was my favorite thing to watch you know like all that kind of stuff but i would say like a quirky thing i was gonna like right when you asked the question i actually like thought of something and now it's escaping my mind the answer is yes, but I can't think of exactly what that thing was right now. Uh, but there, there was, there was a couple of oh, I, I did it. Oh, my friends and I would record stuff all the time. That was like the big thing that that I didn't really realize was an expression of creativity inside of me that I still that I really wanted well, to do. Um, yeah. and now it's kind of come out obviously through everything that I do for a living now. But but yeah, we were we were like. We would go to each other's houses and just record stupid short things on our our cameras and edit it and put it together and it makes, you know, really dumb videos that we thought were funny. From like seventh grade all the way through college, we would still do that stuff. So we were always getting together, like thinking of video ideas and just filming stupid stuff and acting and being silly and goofy and stuff like that. And that's obviously come out in my adult life through the through the content creation stuff that we do. There you go. It's a little bit different of a vein, but but it still came out and it had obviously, you know, it was obviously something that was innate in me, something that I really liked and enjoyed doing and now is now I've been able to do it on a professional level, which is cool. It's
0: wild. That's wild. Travis, you're a really cool dude. Thank you so much for taking time to do this for us today.
1: Of course. You're a great interviewer. Thanks for having me.